You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 21. How many water molecules are in the Atlantic Ocean? We kind of know there's no exact natural number down to the ones digit. Most questions that you ask about the world are something like this, where they're not technically allowed. You can find some bug in it. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another week of The Local Maximum. I'm Max Sklar, your host. Today is another solo episode. It's just me. We have a topic a little bit different today uh, that I'm going to try out. I'm going to try this discussion with you and see if it works. I, it's something I'm really fascinated by. It's something I'm interested in, so hopefully it will work, but, uh, but we'll see. Uh, before we begin, a few notes. First of all, um, if you check my name on the YouTube, um, or if you check my Twitter account, you'll see that uh, I have a, um, a YouTube video out there with Maria Yao. Uh, if you remember, I interviewed Maria about her book, uh, Applied Artificial Intelligence, which is out on Amazon now, and she interviewed me for her program on marketing attribution, because that's what I'm doing right now in Foursquare, is to um, work on a product called Attribution, which is trying to figure out what causes you know, what is the causal effect of an advertisement? Does it actually cause people to take actions in the real world? And what I'm finding is, wow, this is an unbelievably hard problem because it's one of those problems where there are so many different variables to correct for, and it's kind of a never-ending process. And you just kind of have to, you know, make hypotheses and try things out and um, hopefully get more and more accurate over time. Um, But it's one of those things where, you feel like you never get the exact answer that you are looking for. Now, this week, I am broadcasting to you from vacation, kind of a family vacation here on Tybee Island, Georgia, near Savannah, Georgia. So it's very nice. My brain is a little fried today from being out, you know, outside. And and it gets kind of hot in Georgia in summer, you know, who would have thought? But uh, I've been kind of riding around town in the golf cart all day. So that's pretty fun. It's a little nerve-wracking driving a golf cart in the street. I was like, on the street? You know, we don't do that in Brooklyn, but, uh, you know, here I am riding the golf cart around. So having a lot of fun here. Um, Just played cards against humanity, against my family. I think I came in second place, solid, uh, among like 14 people. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. So now we're going to go recall all the way back to episode zero. If you remember episode zero, was the one on uh, Bayesian statistics and Bayesian probability. And I talked about, you know, what is probability? Um, And the the Bayesian interpretation of probability is that it is a belief about the world. So we're going to do a deep dive into the kind of philosophical underpinnings of that because, hey, this is something that I work with. This is the way I describe my answers to problems. So I thought, well, let me... Let me throw my thought process in the other direction. What's the, what's the, if somebody kept asking me, you know, like a small child, why, 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 why? And if I went deeper and, de- and deeper into why I believe this thing, you know, what would I end up saying? And so that's what I'm going to talk about this week. So we need to take step, uh, a step back and talk about why we have a mental model 
of the world to begin with. And before I, I go into probability, I'm going to talk about what is the difference between a fact and a belief. Note that the question is usually posed as fact versus opinion, you know? I'm not doing that. I think that I actually think that one's pretty easy. You know, an opinion is a personal fact. So if I say the movie was pretty good, that's not an objective statement from me about the movie. But Max likes the movie is a perfectly objective fact. So there you go. Uh, it's important to be able to distinguish between uh, fact and opinion, or fact and uh, personal fact, as we might call it. But hey, uh, that's that's not what we're talking about today. Now, before I begin, um, I'm not a philosopher, so if you are one, this whole episode could sound a little bit out of place to you. Uh, maybe a lot of this pertains to some arguments that have been going back millennia. I don't know anything about that. Uh, would like to be filled in, though. So uh, this is just how I think about truth and belief and probability and how it has led me personally to solve uh, real problems in the real world and how it's led me to study specific fields like Bayesian statistics, Bayesian inference. So maybe at some point I'll have an actual philosopher on the show and tell me that this is a branch of whatever. Uh, but for now, I'm probably mangling your field. Uh, sorry again. Not really sorry, though. Okay, so I'm sure my current thinking on this comes from a lot of places. I talk about... Uh, mainly thinking about these things when trying to tackle real-world problems, like how do I find the best restaurant in a town? Or how do I tell if an ad is working? Or where should I invest my time and money? All very important, but my thinking is also heavily influenced by things I've read, uh, things I've heard, and my educational background, sometimes in ways that I might not be aware of. So anyway, what is a belief? So to me, a belief is a statement of your mental model of the world. You can believe that a fact is true. Every person obviously could have a different belief about whether a certain fact is true or not, or importantly, no belief at all. Uh, they might not even be aware enough to ask the question, or the question might not be relevant to them. There are things that you don't know that you don't know. So the facts are the things that correspond to reality. Um, and if you say you know something for a fact, you're really saying that not only do you believe it, but you have very good reason to not doubt it at all. You've decided that you're at like 100%. Now, I've been proven wrong more than one time after saying that uh, I know something for, is true for a fact. So even when you say that, uh, it doesn't always work out. But now when I hear that phrase, it just says to me, hey, I've seen enough evidence for this. I'm taking it as true. I made this out to be a distinctly human exercise, but in reality, humans aren't the only entities that have beliefs and that have mental maps of the world. You know, specifically, machines can too. Uh, databases, for example, are a collection of facts. So are blockchains, the newest example, maybe. And this, this property, this ability to record facts, isn't even that special. We're not talking about AI here. We're not talking about super intelligence. It's just information. It's, it's dumb. Uh, a document just written on paper is also a collection of facts. You can say that the document has a certain set of beliefs about the world, that it's a list of facts purported to be true by the document, whether it is an official record, a ledger, a personal calendar, a book, a map, anything like that. So if I question everything, 
So, you know, if everyone and everything could potentially have a belief about the world or about a question, uh, is there such thing as a true fact? Well, there are people who deny that there's an objective reality, uh, but I'm not one of them by any stretch. There are true facts, and your beliefs may or may not line up with those true facts. Uh, in fact, your beliefs uh, may not even be answering the right questions about the universe at all. For example, if, um, well, if we're talking about the universe, if we're talking about physics, if you ask about the coordinates of, electron, of an electron well, from uh, quantum theory, we know that electrons don't have coordinates in space. Uh, they're just a quantum probability wave. And then you have to learn about that. Um, but of course, if you're just talking in approximations, then the statement can just work just fine. So a good example that I have that I like to give out is, you know, if I ask the question, how many water molecules are in the Atlantic Ocean? You know, an enormous number, but you might think, okay, there's some, you know, there's some natural number that's really big that corresponds to the number of water molecules in the Atlantic Ocean. So it's a perfectly good question if you want an estimate. So you get, you know, the number of uh, cubic kilometers of water in the Atlantic Ocean, and you multiply it by the number of molecules per cubic kilometer. Uh, you might have to, you know, adjust that for, uh, you know, density or, or pressure or something like that. Uh, but then you kind of make those calculations and you get the answer. But we kind of know uh, there's no exact natural number down to the ones digit that corresponds to the answer. I mean, first of all, it keeps changing. There's a never-ending, you know, it, it, molecules are jumping out, molecules are, are going back into to the ocean. Um, but e even then, even if you can kind of freeze it at one point in time, there's sort of a never-ending, you know, rule-making debate over whether a particular molecule is in the ocean or not. You know, so like what if it's on the beach or something? I was out here on the beach today, and I noticed there were a couple of waves, and then, you know, uh, I think that, that we kind of agree that uh, if a water molecule is, uh, you know, out in the wave somewhere, then it's part of the Atlantic Ocean. But the wave kind of crashes, and then a little kind of puddle sort of a thing you know, appears on the beach, but then there's like open sand past that. And then, so do those molecules count? Are they inside the ocean? And then we have to have a whole debate over that. Um, and then even if we can agree on those debates, there's, again, a quantum effect, I think, that takes place. So it's like some molecules might be in and out at the same time. It gets crazy. So it gets really murky. Um, but on top of that, even though there's no exact answer, I think it's actually... Um, pretty legitimate, pretty clear to have a number for, you know, an estimate for how many um, molecules of water um, up to a certain degree of, you know, a certain number of, of significant digits um, in the ocean. So that's very interesting. So I even run into this problem when I think about advertising and marketing, something very different. So let's say I run a marketing campaign. I want to promote this podcast. I want everybody listening to The Local Maximum. I, I uh, perform some ads and I put them into other podcasts. I put an ad out. Let's say I measure 10% lift. That's, you know, lift is something, you know, in the, in the industry, listeners of the ad are 10% more likely to subscribe to The Local Maximum than they otherwise would have. Well, what does that mean? You know, what if I showed this ad to a single person? You know, either that single person subscribed or they didn't. 
fortunately, we don't have quantum effects in this industry, but you know, would it make sense to talk about Lyft, this, this, you know, uh, this marketing metric, um, if we're just talking about uh, applying the ad to a single person? And so this is a case, I, I think not, and I think that this is a case where the aggregate number makes sense. It, it makes sense to say, hey, you have a 10% increase in download rate, but it, it doesn't make sense on the individual level. So very interesting you know, thing to learn about the world that even if you're talking in aggregate, it might not make sense as an individual. So the lesson here is that sometimes the questions that you have about the world are not technically allowed, uh, but they're important simplifications of aspects of the world. I'm talking about the number of molecules in the Atlantic Ocean, the lift of a, a marketing campaign. In fact, I think most questions that you ask about the world are something like this, where they're not technically allowed. You can f find some bug in it. Um, but I don't think that these questions should somehow be shunned or, or you know, it should make you go crazy thinking about the fact that your questions don't work. Uh, in other words, I don't like too much nitpicking. It sort of makes it hard to get the job done. So coming back to it, if you have a set of beliefs, whether you're a person or a machine or a book or a blockchain for that matter, I think that you have to answer certain questions. Question number one is how do I state my beliefs? How do I represent my beliefs? And question number two is how do I observe new facts and change my beliefs? And finally, question number three, how do I know if what I believe is true? You know, is it working for me? Now, it's entirely clear how to do all of these from a human perspective. There's a tendency to want a universal language to state our beliefs, like a universal formalism. Why not? What if we have a database that can contain, that can potentially contain any piece of knowledge that you would like? What if we had a type system in computer science that can express virtually anything, or not virtually anything, literally anything? What if we had a formal mathematics that can state every single problem? So I'm really interested in these formal systems. Um, I was back in high school, in college, I am now. These are artificial languages, really, as opposed to a natural language like English. But my thinking on where these formal systems fit in has changed a lot. So uh, two things. First, the idea that there can be a universal artificial language to state every question is actually proven impossible. There's something called Gödel's incompleteness theorem in mathematics. I'm sure uh, most of you listening to this podcast has, have, have heard of it. Um, and it also has its analogs in computer science. Um, the halting problem is, is a related one. But I used to think that this incompleteness theorem was the main problem, and it's really not. It's the second problem. It is the second problem is that even if we could do it, even if we can formalize everything or come close to doing it, it's actually a really clunky way to solve problems. Um, and you could see this in, in all the examples I gave before where a lot of our problems are really oversimplifications, and that should be fine. Um, but look, this is something that I love to look into, formal systems, type systems, programming languages, functional programming, um, and I'm sure that we'll do more of shows on all of these topics. Maybe I'll do some projects in this area in the future. But do you really want to use this kind of language 
for stating every single fact and every belief, or for just speaking casually for that matter. And let me put this in a way that makes the answer clearer. Is this what you want to teach children when they're just learning to speak? It seems like it's going to be awfully confusing. So I think about these questions, and it's clear that there are benefits of these formal systems, but they're actually kind of at the top of the chain, not at the bottom. Like, it's not like you define this formal system and then everything follows. It's that you have all your beliefs, and then you top it off with a formal language to help you organize them at the end. See, the Gödel incompleteness theorem says that it's impossible to capture everything, but it doesn't say that you can't build something that's really, really, really good. So not a bad area for research. I have some books on type theory on my shelf, uh, another on the continuum hypothesis. Uh, but I think that these, quote, artificial languages are built on something else. You know, natural languages like English, human languages that are much more vague and flexible. All right. So that was a little bit of detour to our main, uh, our main course. Uh, let's get back to stating and representing our beliefs. If we're not always giving an equation or something when we're, when we're talking, then what are we doing? Well, we have our brains and we have our language. Those develop in several ways. So first we have you know, the evolutionary process. We've evolved senses to observe new facts and our brains and bodies to represent those facts physically. And how do we know that they, those things are true from an evolutionary perspective? Well, if you have the wrong map of the world, then you die. And if you're right, you have a greater chance of survival and reproduction or at least helping your species. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not perfect. Sometimes you're right and you die anyway. Sometimes the, quote, wrong ones live. Um, I also have a way different view of evolution and natural selection than I may have had many years ago. People kind of jump to conclusions very quickly. Oh, we're like this because of uh, selection for survival and reproduction. But the world is actually much more complicated than that. There's group dynamics. Uh, there's the way people interact with every other person and all of the things in our environment. So it's really hard to predict how things develop, how things will develop, and it's also hard to kind of go back and say, oh, you know, humans have this characteristics because X, Y, and Z. You can do it sometimes, but I, I think it's a lot. I think people kind of overstate their case a lot. Uh, but in general, there's got to be some kind of stochastic learning going on here. And by stochastic learning, I mean that, you know, good changes uh, tend to happen more often than bad changes over time. And of course, the good changes is just you know evolutionary fitness, which could mean you know <laughs> it's not a it's not a moral good or it's not a you know a better human being. It's just better adapted at the environment under you know the way that uh, the way that nature works. Um, but at least at least evolution is kind of learning that. And hey, you have genetic algorithms, so you know uh, machine learning researchers actually use this process. To, as, as kind of inspiration uh, to build you know, real-life algorithm, real algorithms. So this whole natural development thing is a rabbit hole, but I think this process has given us a brain and it's given us some tools that are in line with true facts. You know, even starting with the lizard brain, you get afraid of stuff. Could be irrational at times, but it helps us discover 
real threats. It has some correspondence to reality. So then building on that, our full brain, I think it's our, our cerebellum or whatever, uh, there's natural language like English, which is very flexible for stating and memorizing facts. And once you get facts, you can pass them down generation by generation, and you can tell stories and ideas. And people will tend to hold on to the ones that speak to us most as human beings that are relevant to the human experience. And that is a kind of truth. And we can pull, put those into writings, and we have religious and mythological stories, but also uh, informational writings, you know, how-to, engineering and science. And then you can actually kind of read through these things and catch contradictions and compare notes, put some formalism into your observations. You can record history. So now you're not merely evolving facts of, look, I had this belief and I survived, and look, I had this belief and I died. I guess I was wrong. Um, because that, that's a pretty clunky way to develop beliefs, if you think about it. But here you're actually starting to make observations and compare them with other observations, creating hypotheses and weeding out the contradictions. And you need language before you can do that. So let's talk about the contradictions for a second. I used to think... You know, only bad thinkers have contradictory beliefs. Well, sorry, folks, we all have them. I think that only short and flat documents are devoid of contradictions. I, I should say short and or flat documents. You know, because the Bitcoin blockchain is, is not short, it's long, but doesn't have contradictions by design because it's just a list of transactions. That's all it can do. Um, I probably should be careful about saying that because someone says, hey, it could do so much more. But let's... Simplify for a second. Um, but I don't think that any humans, and if you've worked with complex databases and if you've read books, if, you, if you're a movie buff, uh, most of those are not devoid of contradictions in their set of facts. All right. You know, so you've got the Enlightenment a few hundred years ago. We get the scientific method. That's a pretty good way of agreeing on the facts. I think that the difference between humans and machines right now is that for humans, our methods for forming beliefs are unimaginably complicated. So like I pointed out, you know, there's evolution, there's language, and there's logic, there's the scientific method, there's theology, I don't really know where that fits in, but, but somewhere, I can't tell someone exactly where to get their beliefs from, uh, as it turns out. I wish I could, but I can't. So for example, if I say, you know, only get your beliefs from the scientific method, Otherwise, you're anti-science. Well, that falls apart pretty quickly. You know, what would be my justification for using the scientific method? It doesn't justify itself. So uh, does that come from the scientific method? Uh, no, it comes from logic, and that comes from language, and that comes from evolution. And I, even then, I put an asterisk on evolution because, you know, the, is, is there some kind of logical thing in that? I mean, that's a whole... That's a whole open discussion. So it's incredibly complicated. But I think that the broader point is that we do have ways of getting facts, forming beliefs, and making sure that those beliefs are in accordance with reality. Sometimes we don't do a very good job of it, but hey, that's life. Um, I don't think that's going to change. I mean, hopefully we'll do better tomorrow than we did yesterday or than we did today. Um, and because this is so complex, we have a way to like kind of gate off of our, our maps of the world, you know, put them in different sections, different container bins of our mind, uh, and put them in different documents. And hopefully each document 
is simpler in some way so we can wrap our head around it and at least get rid of the contradictions within each document. So let's talk about, I kind of talk about mental maps. That's different from a physical map. A mental map is like, this is, this is what the world is like. It doesn't, but let's talk about a physical map for a second. Like, let's say it's a map of Europe. Uh, we can see where the land is. We can see where the cities are. You can compare these with aerial photos. So you can see if there's any contradictions there. You can go to these places. You can check these facts. The map doesn't tell us everything, um, but it is, it's still a very useful document, and it contains facts, and it can be checked. So there we go. Pretty good. All right. A few points to make uh, uh, to remember right now. Uh, first of all, when forming beliefs, you don't need to form a belief about every question. This is important. I think people on TV need to learn this sometimes. Uh, secondly, there are some questions that you're not able to ask. And then, thirdly, even if you can ask a question, uh, there are some potential answers that you're not really able to formulate. Okay, so here's where probability comes in. Probability is a formalization of belief, and it really helps us hedge against multiple potential realities. So let's say you're able to formulate a question and you have a space of several possible different answers to that question. And without probability, you have two options. Option number one is not have a belief on it at all. And option number two is to decide on one of the possibilities and say, that's the correct answer. So number one is pretty safe. And if the question is unimportant to your life, go with number one because it's the cheapest in terms of storage and brain power. Just don't think about this question. In fact, we're, we're born being number one on everything, no beliefs on anything at all. Um, and uh, so number two, I'll like you know, choosing an answer, you know, let's say it's multiple choice, and you're like, all right, I have no idea, but the answer is C. Or maybe you do have an idea, but that's the second cheapest. So if you just pick one right answer, put that in your mind as this is the way the world works and move on. You know, is the earth flat or roughly spherical. You know, I'm not going to entertain the notion of a flat earth right now. It's not worth my time. I know those guys are on the internet. I don't care. You know, even though from a Bayesian perspective, you're never at a 0% belief in something, you know, just forget it. Pick the right answer and move on. Don't complicate your life by trying to uh, store a probability. If you know something for a fact and then that fact turns out to be wrong, well, you could deal with it then. So every once in a while, you go back and sort of, you know, revisit the things that, uh, that you've taken for a fact. But, you know, it, th this is actually an argument against thinking in terms of probabilities for everything. I try to think in terms of probabilities for a lot of things, but it does come with an expense because just picking an answer and having that be your belief, that's, that's a lot easier. It's a lot less brain power. So it's not a Bayesian method. It's a logical method. And uh, it's a logical method of weeding out contradictions where you have a bunch of different facts in your brain and try to figure out if they play nicely together. Okay, so now if you have uh, probability, you have, those are your two options. Now probability comes onto the scene. And probability is your option number three. So option number three, thinking in terms of multiple, multiple options about the world, um, that you're not sure about and representing it as a probability, a subjective probability, uh, it's really the best model. You know, it's better than 
number one, which is I have no idea. Here you could start with a prior. And it's better than number two. It's also the most expensive though, again, because you need to have several different beliefs in your mind at once. And it's more expensive for humans, but it's also more expensive for machines and databases. So let's say I want to know which emails are spam. Now, usually I'm storing a probability for spam on each email. That's a floating point number. That's a whole bunch of bits. Uh, that's more storage than just storing a one or a zero for each email on whether it's a spam or not. So this gets us into the answer of what probability is. Uh, because probability can be thought of as a mixed belief over several potential facts, and these are you know, mutually exclusive facts, um, that's what it is. It's a mixed belief over them. And that's the subjective nature of probability. And that's why I don't think, for the most part, that probability is objective. I think that, you know, you can only say that probability is objective under certain circumstances. We can talk about quantum physics, maybe. But even something like a coin flip is maybe being objectively 50-50. Uh, but the fact that the coin will land on either one side or the other, you know, I would argue that your belief should be 50-50 beforehand because of what we know about coins and all that. You might disagree if you have a completely different, you know, idea of how the universe works, but I'd say you're crazy. So uh, it's still actually subjective. It's just something where all, quote, right-thinking people should come to the same conclusion. And now also note, believing probabilistically is not the same, and a lot of people have trouble with this, but thinking probabilistically is not the same as saying the universe isn't black and white, it's shades of gray. That's actually something different. You still believe that the coin flip will be heads and tails, but you're just not sure which one yet. That's different from saying, you know, I think it'll be like heads and tails at the same time, man, or something like that. You could believe in shades of gray, or you can think that certain areas are shades of gray and also think probabilistically, but they're not the same thing by any stretch. So finally... Here's a major benefit to storing your beliefs as a probability. It comes around to the question of, how do I update my beliefs when I get new information? And if you have to choose a single hypothesis as true every single time, you know, before you have probabilities, you're just picking answers, then how are you going to answer this question of, how am I doing and how can I do better? I guess you can say maybe like, you know, the number of facts I got right or the number of contradictions, the number of facts I got wrong uh, might be your score that you're trying to minimize. Like it's some kind of a fair voting system. One fact, one vote, something like that. Um, and if I come up with a contradicting fact, you know, that's a count against me. But that way of counting is not very formal. And, you know, it's clearly not true that it, all facts are equally important to get right. Um, so... It's, um, I don't think that that system will work very well um, unless it's done on like a small scale. But for probabilities, we actually have a very good and formal answer to this that works extremely well, and this is Bayesian inference. You know, the answer is, I just made an observation. How likely was that observation given, given the probabilities and the beliefs that I had in my head? You know, that's the likelihood. And Bayes' rule gives you a formal way to update your beliefs based on the observations that you've, you've made. So there you go. So if you have a self-contained question that's somewhat complicated but formalized, 
then Bayesian thinking will get you to the right answers and it will lead you to the right conclusions better than anything else that we have. Now, you might have, need other methods on top of it to like explore the space, but that's something else. You know, like the scientific method, Bayesian inference is not a panacea. We still need to ask the right questions. We still need to search for the possible solutions. That's, you know, there's a whole host of methods for doing that. Um, there are always some solutions that maybe we, we can't conceive of and it's not going to be in our model. You know, th this is why we need a random search and this is why we need creativity. You know, that's evolution, that's trial and error, that's all these other things. Um, but we can build on that and in certain areas of life, in fact, really big ones, we have these tools of subjective probability and Bayesian statistics uh, to answer some of the big questions. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today uh, when it came to forming beliefs and probabilities. I think that, you know, my ideas on this are still evolving. I'm happy to, I, you know, I hope I get some questions back from this, localmaxradio at gmail.com if you want to uh, send me a question that uh, I'll answer on another show or just tell me, you know, I get a lot of emails from that and sometimes I'm not sure if you, if you want me to just write you back personally or answer on the show. So, but let me know. I assume if it's a question about the nature of probability, then that's a show question. Um, like, let me know what you think. I think. This is something that I've been thinking about for a while. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I want to see which parts of this are helpful. So I am going to get back to, back to Brooklyn uh, in a few days, and I'll be you know, getting back to work and all that. And uh, I've got some great interviews coming up, so looking forward to it. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. It'll feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say. You're gonna see me shine.